was a little too long, uh-huh. All right. As we continue in our study with James, we're in the third chapter today, and we're looking at wisdom and the difference between what is earthly wisdom and what is heavenly wisdom in particular. Um, gives us some, some great insight into what is... Uh, what are the priorities of the world and what they seek and what the priorities of Scripture are and what the Lord calls us to seek. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to your Word. Make them more than just these, these black and white things on the page. Make them come alive in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives that we would seek what is right and seek your kingdom first in all things. Seek the wisdom that comes from you, that we might live out these great truths that you have before us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So James chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. So who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But... The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. We're going to be looking at a couple other passages. If the Bible's open, you want to keep it there. Now, James begins... In a in kind of a sneaky way. Who is wise and understanding among you? And you're like, well, yeah, I am. Oh, no, that's, the, that's a dangerous thing. Right? A dangerous thing. We, I think that's a setup question for us. And we'll look at that in just a second. But, but the question is, who is wise and understands? Now, I did a little homework uh, this week. And individuals with an IQ above 140 are considered highly gifted. And that gets us in, even into the genius range as it goes up. IQs have been recorded over 200. Um, it, it's fascinating that the guy with the highest IQ has been dead for like 200 years. And I, how did they know? They, they didn't test him. It, it's some uh, German mathematician. Uh, was was listed as like 230 or 240 IQ. I'm like, he's dead. I didn't know how they measured that one. Um, But the wisdom here is not about smarts. It's about wisdom, which is different than just being smart. So the question here is kind of a setup. Who is wise and understanding? And you really don't want to be the one to raise your hand until you're aware of what the conditions are that judge the one who is wise and understanding. Typical of James, he says, I don't, I'm going to want proof. I don't want your IQ score. I want proof that comes in the form of deeds. If you're wise and understanding, then your life will reflect it. Okay? Good conduct done with meekness. That's what he says. Good conduct done with meekness. Now, wisdom, uh, we'll look at that in a moment. The word understanding here, 
uh, is only used here in all the, the Greek New Testament and refers to a specialist or a professional who is highly skilled in some area of knowing and doing. It's not enough to know. We kind of looked at that last week. Those teachers who knew it taught it. But the Jews said, no, no, you've got to know it and do it as well. So the word for wisdom is just kind of a general word there. Uh, that's the knowledge that you have. But the, the Jews really came up with a much more deeper understanding, as we, we touched on last week, that it's the ability to apply that, that knowledge in life. Okay? It's not just good enough to know about it and have an academic or intellectual understanding. If you're not living it out, then it's not real wisdom. It's not real understanding. Now, to the Greek, it's sheer speculation. To the Hebrew, it's a matter of practicality. Practicality. Charles Spurgeon said, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Spurgeon was wise. So this fits in the whole concept and theme of the book of James. You think you're religious? What's he say? Show me. You hear God's word? Do you put it into practice? Or do you just go, yeah, that's true. And then go about the rest of your life. Faith without works is dead. If you're wise... I want to see it lived out. Remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes through all this teaching and says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, okay, is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, we go to Sunday school once again, okay, and that great theological teaching of all those little songs. What does it say? And the rain came down and the floods came up and the rain... Come on, you do the motion. And the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm or fast or whatever it was. And I can't remember about the, uh, washed it out. We know that it washed out. Now, if you've ever been to Israel and, and seen that country, this really refers to a, a, a dry place that's known as a wadi. And it's dry most of the time. And, but when it rains 30, 40, 50 miles north, those waters all come rushing down in that wadi. And it may only happen two or three times a year when this great torrent of water comes rushing down. The ground is dry, but it rains up there, and all of a sudden, here comes this rush of water. And if you've built on the sand, Jesus says, you're a foolish man. If you built on the rock, you're a wise man. And, of course, the rock is Christ. Okay? If you're going to base your life on Christ... You'll stand fast, okay? Are you wise or are you foolish? Do you hear the words of Christ? Do you take them to heart? Do you put them into practice? Or do you hear them and, like the foolish man, just go about your own business? And then James adds this kind of caveat here, meekness, with meekness. Now, we've looked at meekness many times, and I'll just give you the, the definition. Again, Barclay says, meekness is not spineless gentleness. You are not a doormat. It is strength under control strength under control that is meekness so the meekness of wisdom if we were going to apply this today in some fashion the meekness of wisdom would be you're sitting there talking to someone and they go they start on and on specifically a spiritual conversation and and you know that they're not right 
You know that they're in error in what they're saying, but you don't just come out and go, oh, you know what? That is just the craziest thing I've ever heard. Let me tell you what's true. The meekness of wisdom and understanding is helping them come to understand what is true. Okay? You're you're down the road further spiritually, and you're going to help them come to that conclusion. The things that stick in our brains more so than just being told are when we figure them out. And so often it is our job to help people come to that conclusion, oh, I, I held that in, in error. This is what is true. Okay, That's the meekness, really, of understanding and wisdom. So James gives us some practical things here, as he does throughout the book. Very, very practical. Um, and the examples of one who does it incorrectly, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That's how the ESV translates it. We also might say envy and covetousness. Envy and covetousness. Now, covetousness is the desire to have things that God said, hey, not yet. Okay, yeah, but I want those things. Envy is concerned with selfish ambition. The word that we translated here as selfish ambition or envy is also the Greek word for anarchy. Anarchy. So these words refer to more than you know. I really like your car and I wish I had one like it. Covetousness begins to come into play when we steal what someone else has. I covet it to such a degree that I go and take your car that I want. Envy is literally the desire to tear down another person because of who he is or what he has. Envy says, if I can't have it, nobody should have it. Envy doesn't seek to obtain the coveted item. Envy seeks to destroy it and the one who possesses it at the same time. So we see these are terrible, terrible words that James is using here. And James says that envy leads to disorder. Remember, envy is the same word as anarchy. We don't think of disorder as being too bad, but God says, God's a Presbyterian, he says everything must be done decently and in order, okay? And that's the way that he likes it. He's not a God of chaos. We might think, as we look at the world sometimes, that, geez, chaos is ruling. Where is God in all this? His plan is being carried out. So James here links the disorder with evil practices. Evil practices, okay? So those whose hearts are full of covetousness, even full of envy, shouldn't boast in these sins, he's saying, because it shows that they're not wise. They certainly have no heavenly wisdom. They might have earthly wisdom, but they have no heavenly wisdom there. So let's look at the distinction for a few moments between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, okay? Now, some of these things are going to seem obvious to us and plain right before us, but we need to lay them out. So this is the wisdom that humanity pursues and humanity values. Um, Even some with the highest IQs have pursued human wisdom and not seen the benefits of heavenly wisdom. Most of these great thinkers have come to the conclusion that to be successful in life, you must be wise. But again, only earthly wisdom in their views. And they've sought that earthly wisdom without ever finding our Heavenly Father. 
So if your Bible is open, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now remember, Paul is writing to this church. It's a relatively new church. They're coming right out of paganism, some of the worst in that whole geographic region. Remember, a sailor was disappointed if he didn't get to stop at Corinth on his uh, journey because that's where all the sin was, and he wanted to go there. At the temple of Aphrodite up on the hill where you could go and worship with your uh, temple prostitute, etc., So these people are coming right out of paganism and and their lives have been changed by Christ and they have sent a list of questions to Paul and this is what we think 1 Corinthians is and Paul is responding to all of these questions. I'm going to read chapter 1 verse 18 through 31 and this deals with wisdom. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Understand, Paul is is bright. Paul is the brightest of his age. And he says, you know what? All that wisdom didn't lead me to Christ. But the foolishness of the gospel has saved me for all eternity. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, that just doesn't make any sense to human wisdom. You read that, and you go, no, that's that's silly. Okay, That is just silly, and that's the whole point of this. It's the foolishness of the gospel that is really the true wisdom. Now, there are things in the world that are wise and that are good, but we're talking about spiritual understanding here. 26, for consider your calling, brothers... Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Now just aside, remember the church was often made up of the lowest uh, uh, of the the demographics in the first century. Uh, Some of the poorest people. Uh, Continuing, not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He chose the absolute weakest and the lowest and the smallest so that nobody could boast, so that the power of God is demonstrated in their lives. I am strong when I am weak. Okay, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who, because, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay? Now, back to James. Earthly wisdom does not understand heavenly wisdom. In fact, it hates heavenly wisdom because that wisdom is characterized by humility and meekness, two things that 
most earthly wisdom really despises. Earthly wisdom has its root in jealousy, selfish ambition, that's covetousness and envy, as we saw. So earthly wisdom is the result of a desire for things that do not belong to us and a lust for power. And that power is centered on me. I need to have the power. Not you, but me. That's the selfish ambition aspect of this. And in fact, in verse 15, James says, this is demonic. Okay, it's not just bad. It's not just stupid. It's not just selfish. It is demonic because these are the same things that motivate Satan. To label something as demonic means it comes from Satan. And Satan will deny or twist the truth because he is the father of lies. Okay, that's what he is best at. When Satan speaks, he lies. When Satan speaks to the world to perpetuate the lie, it is worse. When members of the church become instruments to spread his lies, it is the absolute worst. Now, we would never spread the lies of Satan, would we? Well, how does a church perpetuate the lies of Satan? Usually by discarding the absolutes of God's word and making the truths of the world rising raising them up to the same level as what we see in God's word or even higher or we might be tempted to think you remember in Sunday school those of you who were there we were talking about judgment okay and you don't hear much about judgment because nobody likes to talk about judgment it's a terrible thing and you know what I think if I would put out on the sign For the Sunday sermon, I don't know if anybody ever reads the sign, but uh, out there on the sign, the judgment of God, or judgment is inevitable, you will be judged, you know, something like that. I don't think we're going to get a lot of people, a lot of visitors in on that Sunday. It's just not a very popular topic. So one of the ways that the church is tempted to err is to say, you know, some of those things are hard. Some of those doctrines that we talk about. Now, we understand them as believers, but, but you know, they're scary. And, and some of those teachings from God's word, they're, they're offensive to the non-believer. And they're very exclusive in our culture today. So if the world is going to listen to us, we need to sound more like them. Okay? That'll draw them in, right? That'll make us friends with the world. No, it won't. You want to be friends with the world? You want to be friends with God? I want to be friends with God. James isn't disparaging the wisdom of the world in certain areas, but he's, remember he's talking about the wisdom of the world is unspiritual, unspiritual. So earthly wisdom refers to this mindset that doesn't consider God to exist or God's rule over all things. Now, I attempted to put together a list of great earthly wisdom things. Now, you probably could do this, and i got the low-hanging fruit, okay? Just to give you some examples of what this earthly wisdom is in today's world. Uh, you can make up your own list um, because it's not too hard, okay? Uh, and, and I'm just, it's a variety. It goes all the way across the board in culture. If we, um, you can be whatever gender you want, no matter how you were born. All you have to do is feel like it, then you can be it. If we decrease the number of police officers on duty, then our city will be safer. That's not good. If we pay people not to work, that is to give them a guaranteed income, they'll be more productive. This is earthly wisdom, remember. 
holding the morals and ethics that have shaped civilized society for the last 2,000 years is dangerous and destructive to current society. Freedom of speech is a bad thing. It's just all from the headlines in, in papers okay, that I've, I've read. Any belief in God will get you to heaven however you define heaven. Did you know that there's no longer a universally accepted definition of the word woman? You can be a girl and join the Boy Scouts, or you can be a boy and join the Girl Scouts. This is earthly wisdom, okay? Not spiritual, not heavenly wisdom. Much of earthly wisdom is marked by a changing definition of truth. Okay, for so long, truth was defined, and just small minorities went and and wanted to do different truths. Now, truth is almost a constantly moving target. A study from the RAND Corporation found that over the last 20 years, national political and civil discourse in the United States has been characterized by what they called truth decay. Truth decay. They define that as a set of four interrelated trends. Increasing disagreement about facts and the interpretation of facts. Blurring of the line between opinion and fact. An increase in the volume and influence of opinion and personal experience over fact. And a lowered trust in formerly respected sources of factual information. I know my dad was quoting somebody else, but he always said, Rand, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, not their own set of facts. Okay. The primary causes of truth decay from the Rand Corporation findings, intellectual bias, social media, and the 24-hour news cycle, competing demands on the education system that diminished critical thinking, and the polarization of political and demographic interactions. So what's the result of truth decay? What's the result of a lack of universal truths, erosion of civil discourse, political paralysis, alienation and disengagement of individuals from political and civic civic institutions, and an uncertainty over national policy? When absolute truth goes away, everything else suffers. Everything suffers. So James says that any time you see bitter envy, selfish ambition, there's no heavenly wisdom present there. That's just earthly wisdom. It is demonic, demonic. All right, let's look at the good stuff, heavenly wisdom, okay? James tells us in contrast to that is the wisdom that comes from above, verse 17. But the wisdom from above, then he gives all these examples of how it's manifest there. So first, it results from true faith, we understand this, that you don't get the wisdom from above unless your life has been changed. As James told us back in uh, chapter 1, that if we lack such wisdom, what should we do? Ask for it. Ask the Lord for it. That's what he says. Secondly, like true faith, heavenly wisdom demonstrates itself by good works. Okay? How do you know if you have heavenly wisdom? You're living out the faith that he has given us. And he says obedience. He talks about the royal law. True faith does good works. How? Same way we got wisdom and understanding with meekness. With meekness. So faith and wisdom are connected here together. Heavenly wisdom is marked by, and he gives us a list here, um, 
peace, gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, impartiality, sincerity, other good, good fruits. It is pure. So these show us that true faith and godly wisdom go together and that we can live peaceably because of that. So these characteristics, I'll just touch on them very briefly. Heavenly wisdom is pure and peace-loving. Wisdom from God inspires unity. Now the Holy Spirit brings unity upon his church. All we have to do is not destroy the unity. Okay? The Holy Spirit brings the unity. So often we are the ones that are destroying it. So this unity brings us together. It doesn't perpetuate conflict. In fact, it ceases to end conflict, specifically within the body of Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. Heavenly wisdom is full of mercy. It produces good fruit. It cares for the needy. It's unconditional. It's compassionate. It treats others better than ourselves. The wise person puts into practice the words of Jesus when he said, Blessed are the merciful. For what do they get? Mercy. Okay. Heavenly wisdom is impartial. It is sincere. It is unwavering. It doesn't play favorites. We saw that from James earlier. The poor man comes in. We go, why don't you sit over there on the floor? And the rich man comes in and says, why don't you sit up here in the special seat? We don't play favorites in heavenly wisdom. And then finally, this last little verse, 18. This is probably kind of a proverb um, of the day. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Sow peace, reap righteousness. Okay? Righteousness can't be produced if your heart is bitter, if you're full of selfish ambition or envy or conceit. So the motivation to apply heavenly wisdom is the desire to produce righteousness. I want the wisdom from the Lord so that my life will be a testimony to the things of Christ. That's what James is saying here. The production of these good works done in Christ and for his glory is proof that you hold this heavenly wisdom. Now, I know it's easier to go along with the world. What seems to be the consensus of opinion with with everything around us requires a lot less effort than to go against the grain, to go upstream, which so often is what the scripture calls us to do relative to the world. Things of uh, this, the gospel get us out of our comfort zone. Um, it's easier if we just don't stir the pot in society, keep our heads down. No, I don't want to cause too much problem. I don't want to be. I don't want to stand out. But that is not what being the possessors of heavenly wisdom demands from us. It requires us to go against the ever increasing sin of society. It, it requires us. Westminster says, you have to mortify sin. you got to kill it. You start here in your own heart. Where is the sin in your life? You've got to kill that sin. You've got to put it to death. Why? So that you may walk in holiness before the Lord. Heavenly wisdom demands our lives, our demonstrations of the true faith that he has given us. It's going to require what we go the second mile. It's going to require that we care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is not enough to say, oh, Lord bless you and go about your way. You have to do something about them. It requires us to reach out to our people around us. Maybe it's over the fence to our neighbors. Maybe it's people we work with. And invite them in to the things of the gospel. 
to show them the compassion that we have been shown through Christ. That's what it requires of us. If we have the heavenly wisdom, it requires us to live it out in faithfulness. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is... uh, The differences are clear here that James lays out for us. There is the earthly wisdom. It is unspiritual. It is demonic. It seeks its own way. It is selfish. It's full of covetousness and envy. And here we have heavenly wisdom, the wisdom that comes from on high, from you. And and the world just doesn't like that kind of wisdom. Because it requires us to be humble. It requires meekness, but yet it produces a harvest that is beyond our comprehension. What you would do with a man or a woman who is humble before you? What would you do with a church who seeks your wisdom and your truth, who puts themselves before you at the throne of grace in humility? What great things you could do. Lord, this is the call upon our hearts as individuals and our hearts as a church. Will we seek you no matter what the world says is right or wrong? Will we seek the truth? Will we hold fast to it? Will we live it out in word And indeed, this is the challenge for us today. Don't let us build our house on the sand, but on the rock of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.